I know we say, hey, we're going to look at three chapters and your, your jaw drops, but we will move quickly through this. It is not Psalm 119, right? That's not one of them. So we'll be okay. But Psalm 148, if I looked back and if you've been with us since we started in the book of Psalms, you know, it was never our intent to preach straight through Psalm 1 through 150. That would have taken a long time. Um, but we wanted to capture just a taste of each of the genres that were mentioned up here. And I looked back and we've, we've looked at 40 different Psalms together. And in that time, We've talked about the different genres of lament and thanksgiving and wisdom, even some that are really specifically messianic in nature, and then also praise. And God has used and will use these psalms in our lives to strengthen us, to warn us, maybe even to discipline us, to comfort us surely, to teach us, to even delight us, I think. So... No matter how many sermons that you've heard from the book of Psalms, it's always going to be just this inexhaustible source of help and comfort for you as a Christian. So just because our time in Psalms, is, as we're preaching through it, is coming to an end, doesn't mean that your time in Psalms needs to. Continue on, continue being refreshed and delighted by what the Lord has done in the book of Psalms. Keep coming back to it when you feel downhearted. Or when you feel joyful, when you feel angry, or when you feel happy, when you feel confused, when you feel encouraged, when you feel forgotten, or when you feel uplifted, no matter what season or stage of life that you're in, look to the Psalms for help putting your feelings into words. Because the truth is, and the grace of God is, that someone has walked this path before you. And God has been kind to us in giving us their words for all of the emotions and the things that we experience in life now that we sometimes don't have words for. We look to his word and we look at the Psalms and it's, boy, it's been a pleasure. I I hope and I pray that uh, it would be used in your life to grow you and to show you the faithfulness of God in a new way. So today we look at the final three chapters of Psalms as sort of this finale of praise as we close our time in the book. And in reality, though, if you look through kind of the book of Psalms, it's got its own finale written to it. I'm not putting this title on it. The last really five chapters, Psalm 146 through 150, are all this like finale of praise. And if you look... Go ahead and glance back at Psalm 146, 147, 148, 149, and 150. Notice the first and last verses of each psalm. What does it say? Praise the Lord or hallelujah. So can you guess, based on what Jason was sharing with the kids and what we just discovered here, can you guess what these last five chapters of psalms are called? The hallelujah psalms. Right? They're the hallelujah psalms. So in, in lots of other psalms that we've looked at, in psalms that you've read yourself, the author of that psalm has gone on to explain maybe the despair that they're in, maybe the trouble that they're facing, um, maybe the, the sin that they've just committed, maybe the grief that's in their heart, maybe their worries, maybe their doubts, The authors maybe even talk about some of their fears. 
in the Psalms. But all that is behind us. Now we're in the Hallelujah Psalms and every every kind of note that struck in these last five, especially the last three that we're going to look at together, it's all just worship. It's all praise. All that stuff is behind us now. Every every word is praise in the Hallelujah Psalms. In Psalm 148, just kind of set the roadmap of where we're going together, it sets the stage of the three by telling everything on earth and everything above the earth, every created thing that isn't God, which is everything else, all of, all of you are supposed to do something specific. Praise Jehovah. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. Exalt God, the one true God is the creator and he's actually worthy of the creation's praise. And then 149 begins to explain why every created thing ought to praise the Lord and how. And then Psalm 150 really drives that point home of how every created thing, specifically you, a member of mankind, ought to praise the Lord. So let's read these together and then ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Psalm 148, praise the Lord Praise the Lord from the heavens, praise Him in the heights, praise Him all His angels, praise Him all His hosts. Praise Him sun, I'm sorry, praise Him sun and moon, praise Him all you shining stars. Praise Him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, they were created. And He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel be glad in his maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly exult in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their throats and two-edged swords in their hands to execute vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron to execute on them the judgment written. This is honor for all his godly ones. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with the lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. That everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray.
Lord, uh, we can look at these these verses, and it's not hidden, <clears throat> it's not disguised. There's not a great mystery here that we need to uncover this morning. It's more just simply applying what we know. For the Christian, it just means living out what we're called to do here. Lord, but for those who don't know Christ, who've not put their faith in you and been granted salvation by your grace alone, Lord, uh, they, they lack the ability to fully understand what we're saying here. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move through your spirit in a great way today and save those who are needing to be saved. Lord, call out to them as we know that you're doing. And Lord, when your sheep who are yours hear your voice, they will answer. And so I pray that many sheep hear today as a result of the preaching of your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So we're going to work through these psalms quickly, highlighting kind of their place in this finale and their purpose within it. Okay, so just Psalm 148. I think you can kind of break down a lot of the psalms into different sections, and that's really because, remember, psalms are written to be songs. They were sung. And so as you know, probably by listening or singing music here, there are verses and there are choruses and there are bridges and there are parts of meter and rhyme and, and those sorts of things. So it's, it's fairly easy to, to break down psalms into different categories and sections specifically. And so I think that there are four here in Psalm 148 that I just want to point out. And really it's kind of two and two. They're connected. So in verses 1 through 4, we see the call to heavenly things to praise the Lord. And then in verses 5 and 6, we're told why those heavenly things ought to praise, the reasons why they ought to praise the Lord. Then verse verses 7 through 12 is a call to earthly things, things on earth to praise the Lord. And then in verses 13 and 14, it's the reasons why earthly things ought to praise the Lord. And so I, I like some structure, and so I like that there's structure here in this psalm. And I want to point out something that I read this week that kind of blew me away a little bit. Look at verses 1 through 12. Just kind of scan through them. Think about this. As the psalmist kind of instructs everything, things in heaven, things on earth, all created things to praise the Lord, he follows the same pattern of creation from Genesis chapter 1. This is so cool. Both record first the stuff that's that's kind of up high, right? The heavenly beings, the sun, the moon, the stars. You remember some of those were some of the first things that were created in Genesis. And the heavens, the waters above the heavens, the firmament, if you will, the waters and the earth. He separated the, the dry land out from the water. And then he made living beings to dwell on that dry land, as well as sea creatures in the water itself, and then finally, kind of the pinnacle of his creation, he breathed his breath of life into mankind. Right? Well, that's the same order that Psalm 148 follows. And that's, that's so cool to me. And so as God kind of framed the world in his wisdom at creation, the psalmist here urges creation in the same order to praise God, to praise their creator. And verses five and six tell the heavens why They ought to praise God. Why? Well, because he created them and he established or sustained them forever. It's, it's his word. Now, the heavenly things that are mentioned here, like angels, 
Um, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky itself, they were not only made by God, but we know, especially from New Testament writings like Paul to the Philippians, we know that God sustains these things by his word as well. They continue because, as verse 6 says, it's an everlasting decree by God and it will last forever. These things continue until the Lord says enough. (laughs) Their continued presence and establishment gives them reason enough to praise their maker who decreed it. So then we move from there to verses 7 through 12, and these are the earthly things that are mentioned in here. And so just briefly, sea creatures, and in some of your translations it uses other words like a little more mysterious, like dragons or things like that here. We don't totally know what it's being referred to, but we can know this for sure. Every being in the sea, the little plankton, and the giant humpback whales and Everything in between, as mysterious as it might be, praise the Lord. Whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. There are creatures out there at the bottom of the miles of ocean that we've not yet discovered, and their instruction by God is to praise their maker. Not only animals, but you can see he talks about different phenomena of the weather. He talks about hail, fire, snow, Mist, stormy winds, all of these things. Everything, in fact, on earth. Everything in the air. Then he talks about people. People in high authority. Kings, princes. People in low estate. Young people, old people, guys, girls. Everything on earth is listed here. Not every individual thing, but it encompasses everything on earth. And the idea is here that Guys, without God's authorship, nothing that is here would be here. And really, John chapter 1 says that when talking about the Word becoming flesh. It's all created by Him. Therefore, if everything is created by God, guess what we owe our existence to? Guess who we owe our existence to? It's to our Creator. And for the created things like the animals, like the weather, like the earth, all of these things do what God created them to do. The sun shines, clouds bring rain, the wind blows, animals reproduce, generations and generations of mankind continue to inhabit the earth year after year. All created things do what they do to the praise of their creator, and as verse 8 says, thus fulfill his word. That's what we do. And all of these things in verse 13 are instructed to praise the Lord. Why? Here's why. Because his name alone is to be exalted. His majesty is above heaven and earth. Okay, so even though God made everything in his image and it's good, we're not God. He's still superior in every single way. And I don't have to convince you of that. You know it already. You're not God. But we live like we are so often. He is to be exalted, not us. How we continually get this wrong. Even those who have been born again wrestle to get this correct. You know, we're still, I don't know if you all keep up with... um, the study of space and new stars and stuff, but new stars are being discovered all the time, right? 
Uh, in fact, you can get on, I think it's NASA's website and actually like buy a star and name it. You know, cause there's just so many of them out there. Well, guess what? Somebody has already done that. Psalm 147, verse 4 and 5. He determines the numbers of the stars. He, he gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Now you could put your, your name on a star, you know, and pay whatever it is. But that star's already got a name. God named it. And that's why his name is to be exalted. That's why he is to be exalted and not us. Because we can't, we can't even see the stars, much less name them all. And he does. Charles Spurgeon says, he is himself the crown of all things, the excellency of the creation. There's more glory in him personally than in all his works combined. You know what that means? That means all of the stuff that we see and take joy in and take comfort in and laugh about and have experiences here on earth, all of these things are awesome and yet none of them compare to who God is. Because all of this stuff is fading away, isn't it? All of this stuff is deteriorating. And it brings us less and less joy sometimes. Well, it's not always how it's going to be. <laughs> Amen, right? And And it's like, we know that, I think, deep down. But again, we rarely live like this is not our home. You know, just thinking about creation and how the author goes through sort of the order of creation, this isn't just some empty wish that, oh, you know, all of creation is going to praise the Lord. This is a guarantee. Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 through 13, they're in your notes. It tells us it will be fulfilled. There's not a question. It will be fulfilled. Listen as I read. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And, he, and hear this. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Guys, that's the reality of what's coming. Every creature in heaven, every being on earth and under the earth and in the earth, everything, everyone will praise Jesus. And this reminds us of Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 through 11. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at his name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is reality. And Christian friends, if this is what our eternity will all be about, then our passage today in Psalm 148 reminds us that we ought to be about it now while we're living on this earth. It's not just a distant future thing, and now that is a reality, but it's also happening now. We're called to praise Him, to look to our Creator and live for His glory. Now look at chapter 148, verse 14, that last verse with me. 
God loves and cares for all of his creation. But I, I think this verse helps us see, along with other scriptures, that he has a special kind of affinity and love and affection for his people. He calls them his people. He calls them his saints. He calls them those who are near to him. God loves you. Christian, he loves you. Charles Spurgeon also says, he is good to all, but he is God to his people. I like that. And then the chapter ends, the same way it began. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So Psalm 148 kind of gathers everybody together. Heavenly things, earthly things, you guys, people. Come on, come on. Here's what we're called to do. The why we kind of move into and a little bit of the how. And the why here is the combining of praise for, for God, for the mercies that we've already received, but also anticipation of God's future victory over all of his enemies. So verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 149. Sing to the Lord a new song. It says, let Israel be glad. Let the children of Zion rejoice. Let them praise his name with dancing, making melody with the tambourine and the lyre. And so, so verse 4, why do his people do this for him? Why do his people burst out in song and dance? For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Well, th- that's why we respond the way that we do, believer. Because he takes pleasure in us. How do his people exalt his name? Look at verse 3 and verse 5. It says, let them praise his name with dancing, making melody to him with tambourine and lyre. Verse 5, let the godly exalt in glory. Let them sing for joy on their beds. That's an interesting phrase to think about. Them sing for joy in their beds. Now, why would he say that? Well, we don't know 100%, but I think that there's a couple of reasons some applications that we could make. Have you ever been so sick that you couldn't get out of bed? Sing for joy. Have you ever been so burdened by what you knew you had to face that day that you didn't want to get out of bed? Praise the Lord. Or maybe when you're lying in bed at the end of of a hard day and you just want to wipe it away, and forget about it all. Praise the Lord. Sing for joy on their beds. Let the people of God jump and dance and sing and play music because of the honor that God has shown them. He, he loves his people. He takes pleasure in his people. And we praise him so much that when we wake up and when we go to sleep... When our head hits the pillow and gets off of the pillow, we're singing to the Lord. Melodies in our hearts. Continual praise, I think, is what the author is really getting at here. All the time. Praise the Lord. And if God is so rich in his mercy that he takes pleasure in his people, even despite our sin and our weaknesses, then it's indeed a cause for great joy and rejoicing at all times. 
Then Psalm 149, verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, they, they kind of take this turn. It seems a little bit out of place, a different tone maybe than we were expecting. In verse 6, God's people are pictured as being ready for battle. And they're equipped with two mighty weapons. What are they? The high praises of God in their throats and the two-edged swords in their hands. This is interesting. You may remember we've talked a couple of different times about the story from Second Chronicles chapter 20 where God's people are going to go out to battle. And God tells them, you're not even going to fight this battle. So what do they do? Well, they don't send small groups of people out to, to distract the enemy. They send out guys in holy clothes and royal garments, and they sing. Right? That's a great battle plan. Go out and sing at the enemy. Moab, Ammon, Mount Seir, men from all of these places were surrounding Israel and this was the plan that God had to deliver them. Listen, this is funny to me, but listen to Second Chronicles 20, verses 20 and 23, 22 and 23. And when they began to sing and praise the Lord, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Israel didn't have to do anything. They went out according to the Lord's plan and a victory was won. The Lord's plan, this helps us understand something really key to life. Again, I'm not telling you anything new, but it's this. The Lord's plan isn't always what we would expect, but always accomplishes exactly what he intends. The men were trained to go out and fight in battle. And God says, go to the back of the line, send out the worship team. And a mighty group of enemies just destroyed one another without any act on Israel's part. They were to fully rely on God for their deliverance, but they were also to use practical means. It says that it wasn't just the high praises of God in their throats. Verse 6 of Psalm 149 says that it also had the two-edged sword in their hands. Another commentator named G. Campbell Morgan says, their praise is not merely to be that of the of chanting of words. It's also to be in the doing of his will. While in the high praises of God... While the high praises of God are in their mouth, a two-edged sword is to be in their hand, with which they carry out his purposes among the peoples, the kings, and the nobles. So I think what the, the psalmist is getting at here is something similar to what was going on in Nehemiah's time, when he went back to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. If you remember, back in Je- Nehemiah chapter 4 specifically, they're talking about loading uh, stones up for guys to carry to start rebuilding the walls. And it says specifically that they only put enough burden on them that they would carry it in one hand. Because what did they have to carry in their other hand? A sword. They carried their weapon. They also had uh, guidelines for 
um, who was going to stay watch while other people worked, and even the ones that worked still only worked uh, with something in their hand. And so you might have heard it another way, that they carried a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. And that's the way it went. Now, even though they were ready for battle at all times by having that sword in one of their hands, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 20 says that their battle cry was not, let's go do this. It was, our God will fight for us. That's what they said. Our God will fight for us. Now, we could move this, the two-edged sword concept, into the New Testament a little bit. That's maybe where your mind went immediately. There are three key texts. Let me just list them quickly. Revelation 19.15 talks about the Word of God as a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4.12, the same thing. It's a two-edged sword. In fact, the Word of God is even sharper than a two-edged sword, it says there. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. And that's the really the only offensive weapon of the believer. It's the Word of God. So here's how we can apply this today very easily. Christian, you still go into battle every day, don't you? And you go in with the same two things. The praises of God on your lips and the sword in your hand. The word of God in your hand. That's, that's what we do. This is, it's no different for us than it was for the psalmist. And then at the end of chapter 149, we see the same closing phrase, hallelujah, or praise the Lord. And then we see it open chapter 150 as well. And the whole chapter of chapter 150 is kind of a doxology. It's this summation um, that not just closes the last volume of the Hallelujah Psalms, but it closes all 150 books. It's a neat psalm. It, it, it contains, just glance through it, it contains no argument. There's not really even any teaching that's done here. There's really no explanation offered in Psalm 150 at all. It's just that same phrase that we've talked about repeated over and over. Praise the Lord. It's now in every line. It's not just at the first and last. It's in every line, which I think is so neat. And here we start to answer some specific questions. Praise the Lord where? In his sanctuary. The place where he dwells. Praise the Lord where? In his mighty heavens. Praise the Lord why? For his mighty deeds. Praise the Lord Why? Because of his excellent greatness. Praise the Lord. How? Well, it really goes into the how. It says, with the trumpet, with the lute, with the harp, the tambourine, the dance, with strings, pipes, cymbals, even loud crashing cymbals. You know what this tells me? Sometimes the way that people worship God might not always be our preference, but that doesn't make it wrong. You may not like the sound of loud crashing cymbals, but if it's being offered in praise to God, praise the Lord. Praise Him. Praise the Lord. Who? That last verse. Everything that has breath. Everything that lives, praise the Lord. So Psalm 150 is pretty simple already, but let me see if we can just kind of clarify it even more. In every place... 
praise the Lord. For every reason, praise the Lord. With every expression, praise the Lord. And with every available breath, praise the Lord. With everything that's in you, and in every season that you go through, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Commentator James Boyce says, let's be done with worship that is always weak and unexciting. If you can't sing loudly and make loud music to praise the God who has redeemed you in Jesus Christ and is preparing you for heaven, perhaps it's because you don't really know God or the gospel at all. If you do know him, praise the Lord. Literally, this final phrase of the book of Psalms says, let all breath praise the Lord. Every breath. This phrase is a proper and fitting conclusion to this psalm and really to the entire book. As we, cl- as we close, I just want to share with you a couple of quotes from smart Bible guys over the years about Psalm 150 specifically. These are in your notes. Pastor David Gusick said, says, everything that breathes should give its praise to the one who gave it breath. John Trapp says, we have all as much reason to praise God as we have need to draw breath. G. Campbell Morgan again says, the one condition of praise is the possession of breath. That is to say, life received from him must return in praise to him. Every breath is the gift of God and praise is the worthy response that Christians make for that gift. So believer, let everything that you say and everything that you do, let everything that you are praise God, praise the Lord. If you're here without Christ, if you don't know him as your savior, Realize that one day you will recognize him as Lord. We read verse from Philippians chapter 2 that said, "You every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But if you don't do it here, you'll be compelled to do it there by the truth and majesty of who God is and your condemnation on that day will be just. Your knee will bow Man, you could do that today. You can do it today of your own accord. And I think you should do it today while you still have breath to breathe. Because living for him with these breaths that we have is more satisfying than anything else you can devote your life to. 100%. Let me leave you with another quote from Charles Spurgeon. Be ye the least or greatest, withhold not your praises. What a day will it be when all things and all places unite to glorify the one only living and true God. This will be the final triumph of the church of God. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. This psalm is rounded out with a note of praise and thus the book of Psalms is ended by a glowing word of adoration. Here's our challenge from Charles Spurgeon. Reader, you all who have read this together, will you not at this moment praise Pause and a while and worship the Lord your God in praise. Will you not pause and recognize where your breath comes from? 
your ability to sit up out of bed? Who gives you that? Who created you? Who knits you together? Another psalm says, in your mother's womb. That's the God that we have. He's a God that loves, that's calling you today. Will we not, at this moment, pause and worship the Lord? Let's do that. Let's pray. And let's sing together. <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Lord, you are worthy of all praise, of every praise we could offer, of every instrument that we could grab and use in worship. Maybe it's just a couple of clanging cymbals, Lord, and yet we're commanded to, to do it, to praise. Lord, that, you know, if, if we're being honest, that, that doesn't always just come so naturally. You know, we walk around with heavy burdens, most of the one, mostly the ones that we keep on ourselves because we think we can control things. But Lord, we walk around that way and it's, it's really hard some, some mornings to roll out of bed and sing praises to you while we're still in our beds. It's hard. Lord, but the truth of the gospel and the joy of salvation is that the spirit in us, the spirit in your people spurs us on to do those things. It's not that we have to just muster up the strength to praise you. Lord, your spirit moves us to it. And Lord, I, I, I sense that you're moving us to that today, this morning now. You're moving us to praise and exalt the one who is worthy, and it's not us. So Lord, if, if there are any who have not heard, Lord, they've heard today. And if there are any who have not trusted, Lord, they can trust today in your mighty name, in your good news that Christ has come to take our place, to die the death that we deserve. And while we were still sinners, he did that because of his love. Lord, may we give ourselves wholly to you today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.